when I would uh, tell people last year and, and during the summer that we were going to go through Romans this year in chapel, I would usually get two responses from people. It was usually kind of um, a, a two-pegged response from most folks, like, oh, man, that's really awesome. It's a, it's a book that is generally respected and that a lot of people in Christian circles love. But at the same time, people would say, you know, that's really awesome, but wow, that sounds really hard. And I was like, yeah, you know, sometimes things sound like a better idea in my head before I put them on paper and then start to execute the plans. And there are times where I felt like this was one of those ideas. When I started outlining uh, the book of Romans and looking at different texts, this was one that got highlighted and starred. And I put my name down for just because it's a text that um, is a topic that, that Christians struggle to talk about in a constructive way. And I think it's a text that has been a lot of times used um, to, to shame people, especially people outside of a Christian context. And so I wanted to kind of bring it in and use this to talk about us because today we're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about sin that's in the world, and we're going to talk about sin that's in our lives, and that's tough to do. There are a lot of times where Christians just decide, we're not going to talk about sin you know, anymore, or, or we'll kind of talk around sin. There are other times where, where Christians talk about sin in a way where when we all say, man, and, and get up, the preachers want the people to feel a deep sense of shame. Or like I said before, there are some times where when we preach on topics of sin, we want people to be, you know, fired up and, and going out and, and, and judging other people. And I thought about if we're going to have a conversation uh, about sin, what would we want the end goals to be? What would we want to, to see in our lives as, as, as we consider ourselves transformed? And I thought, you know, I would like to see us be uh, people who are repentant. I would like to see us to be a, a people who understand that we struggle with this together. And so we should work on this together. And I want us to be a people who are in pursuit of what God would have for us as individuals and as a community. And so then I start to ask the question, all right, so how do, you, how do you do that? How do you package that? And I thought to myself, what would Jesus do? And then I thought to myself, probably talk about zombies. And I thought to myself, no, he would not, absolutely not do that. But that doesn't mean that, that I can't do it. Do we have any, like, zombie literature fans in, in the crowd today? Good, just me. So I'll evangelize. Um, I, for some reason, a few years ago, like, I don't know what it was, just some kind of release. I started to get into like these, these zombie shows and stuff. And, and there was a sense in which it was comedic and fanciful and far-fetched. But then I started to realize that, that sometimes these zombie shows and these zombie comic books, they deal with some of the, the deepest questions of life. Literally, what does it mean for us to be human? And if everything was stripped away from us, what would we then have? What would be the things that we pursue? What would be the things that we would, would embody? And so I wanted to, to package our talk about sin tonight, certainly uh, seeding it in the text, but also talking about, okay, so when these, these pop culture people have, have talked about what does it mean to be human, what can we learn from that? And how can that help us to understand what it is to be flesh and bone, to be made from the image of God, to have been fallen, and to be back in pursuit of being who God has called us to be? Today we're in the book of Romans, and we're still in the first chapter. 
And we're going to start in verse 19, or 18 today and go through the end of the chapter in verse 32. And I want you to first hear the word of the Lord from the book of Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. From his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that, they, that are contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, contentiousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And that, as hard as it might be to hear, is the word of the Lord. It kind of ends on a downer, doesn't it? If you think about things that you would put on a resume or a business card, you would probably put all of, of the opposite of everything um, um, near the end of, of that text. I don't think any of us really want to be known as people who are covetous or malicious, who are envious, who are murderers, who are strifeful, who are deceitful. And it almost seems like, man, Paul, like, is that a little overkill, maybe? Did you have to literally list every sin in the book? I mean, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, there were literally only ten. And here you go, and, and you make us feel like kind of kind of bad about ourselves. There's an interesting thing, I think, that Paul does as, as a rhetorical device here. And one of the things that he does is I think that he helps us when we hear that text, especially in its whole, we realize that we're all affected by the tentacles of sin, right? We're all affected by the tentacles of sin. In the, the comic book, The Walking Dead, that they made into a movie, there's this scene in the first season where the people who are in the middle of this kind of dystopian reality, the zombie apocalypse, they're trying to get to these scientists to figure out what in the world is going on. And when they get to the scientists, the scientist has bad news for them, really, really bad news. And what he says to them is, you're all affected. And they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. We're not, we're not zombies. Like, we can still do jumping jacks. We can still play basketball. Like, we, we can still think with, with our minds, our entire existence. It's not the, the, this rabid animal pursuit. 
we are still rational and we are still wise and we still look out for each other. And he has this gigantic screen in the CDC headquarters that he brings down and he shows them the science that, no, the problem that's happened is a virus has spread to everybody. And this virus, it only manifests itself once you die and that's when you come back to quote unquote life. And they start to explore what does it mean to live. That's when you become consumed by by your animalistic passions. And when I read this text from Paul, the first thing I see is that we're all affected. We are all affected by sin. Because there are certainly sins in there that I can look at and I can say, oh, so-and-so has this and -and so-and-so has this. But if I'm really honest with myself and I really allow this to sink in, I see that there are things in here that I struggle with, that there are things in here that at various points in my life have indeed consumed me. And so this sin problem doesn't just become a you problem. It becomes an us problem. It becomes a we problem because we are all infected by this this thing, by this thing. And so Paul tries to hit at that pervasiveness of sin. Secondly, I think Paul is setting up a picture here in Romans about how as we are on this road, we are on a road and in a time that is very chaotic. And it's not how things were intended to be. There are some things that, that Paul says in here that, that we know to be true historically. He says that, that God has made his own character plain to us. That it's, it's, it's been made clear to us, he says. And, and in verse 20, he talks about invisible attributes, things that should be hidden. Those have been made known. We know as, as humans that there is a God who is, is powerful. And, and we know as humans that he has an eternal power and a divine nature. Those things, Paul says, have been communicated ever since the beginning of creation. And when we think back to the beginning of creation, when we think back to the created state, how did God create God created everything good, and God created everything perfect, and it was whole. It was was together, and that's how things were supposed to be. In this zombie literature, there was a time that the people can remember where their lives were, were whole, where their family units were together, where they had jobs, where they got to do things like shop for their food at stores, where they didn't just have to wear whatever they could find that they could never wash, but there was a color and a life and a vitality to the world around them. And now they're in this situation, in this place, this predicament that is, is, is chaotic and it is bleak. And a lot of times they don't even know where they're going to rest their head and it wears them out. And when we think about the place that we've been brought to on the road because of sin, it is that place of chaos. No longer are we in the garden where Adam and Eve walked freely with God and we're in communion with him. No, we are sojourners. We are on the road. And the place that we're at can feel very bleak and very overwhelming. We can be overwhelmed by our own sin. We can be overwhelmed sometimes by the sin around us. It can literally bring us to a place of of, of grieving. 
But we also know that this is not the end, that the God that created everything whole and good and complete desires for us to experience that again. And so we have to hold on to that hopefulness to know what we are going toward. Otherwise, what happens? Otherwise, what happens is we just get given over to our own desires. When we forget the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, when we forget the intent that God has in our lives to change our character and to change our work, to bring glory and honor to him, then we are given up to ourselves. When we stop, as it says in verse 28, acknowledging God, when we stop seeing fit to acknowledge God, then we are given up to a debased mind. And that is the time and the place where we do what ought not to be done. And so in that there is action, but there is also this existence, this condition, and we must live in that tension. That tension of knowing that God's original desire for us and God's ultimate desire for us is something different than what the world embodies right now. And even if we're really honest with ourselves, sometimes what we want in the deepest, most innermost feelings of our hearts, because our hearts can be compromised and our hearts can betray us. And sometimes we can forget what this existence is really about. And what happens in the midst of that chaos in zombie literature when people forget what that existence is about? They do one of two things. Either number one, they just start looking out for themselves. Or number two, they just give up. And they stop pursuing that thing that is good. They stop journeying toward hope. They stop journeying toward life. They start to believe. They start to believe the lie that things can't get any better than they are right here and right now. And so we might as well just make this the biggest party and the best party we can. You know what? That's no way to live When we talk about what life is and we talk about what it means to be human, I believe that the definition that Paul gives us is right in verse 21, that what God wants for us is to know him, that what God wants for us is to honor him, that that's the very reason we are, we were created. And I believe too, in that verse, that that what God wants from us is a robustness not a futileness of thinking, not a foolish heart, but a wise heart and a prudent heart. A heart that, as we said in our, our, our theme verse for the year, Romans 12, too, where we can discern what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. And so when we think about sin, should we be, be grieved? Yeah, we, we should be grieved. And should it kind of make us uncomfortable in our seats? It should, knowing that we are in this place of of chaos that should feel otherworldly to us. Especially if we've bought into the lie that this is as good as it gets or this is how it should be. Should the knowledge that sin is something that we all struggle with that is pervasive, that is not the state that God has us in, should that call us in our lives to change? Yes. Yes, it should. Our minds should be enlightened 
and our hearts should be quickened and we should be compelled to run back to the God that wants what is good for us. There's an, an author that I know, and, and her name is Lauren Winner, and she wrote a book about essentially the, the ethics of, of chastity, of living a chaste life. And one of the interesting points that she made is that, you know what, with any kind of sin in our lives, but especially with, with chastity, which is what the book was about, one of the, the lies, one of the foolish things that we've adopted is we have to struggle with this alone. That we have to struggle with this alone. That somehow we have to, to change ourselves before we can present ourselves to the rest of the Christians and to be accepted. And she said, I wonder if that's not just, just poisoning the whole entire endeavor from the get-go. And she talks about how, how, you know what, we have a communal responsibility to each other, to walk with each other, to, yeah, hold each other accountable, but to also encourage each other, to keep reminding each other of our origins and of hopefully what is our destiny to be worshiping at the foot of the throne of the Lamb. We have to be out there not just for ourselves, but but holding each other up and, and serving each other. And when I think about that, that one last piece of zombie literature that stands out to me as it pertains to sin is that, yeah, like while sin is pervasive and it affects us all, there's a sense in which our journey toward wholeness is something that we can do together. There will be times where we will make decisions that will be God-honoring or God-dishonoring. And sometimes we might have to live in the consequences of that. Sometimes other people might have to live in the consequences of our sinful decisions, just like sometimes we have to live in the consequences of other people's sinful decisions. But you know what? We're never, ever, ever going to get where we need to go if we try to go at it alone. We're never, ever going to get where we need to go if we try to go at it alone. So let's be realistic about sin, about sin in our lives, about how it affects us, about how, you know what, sometimes I even, I even like it. And sometimes I've bought the lie that my own pleasure is the most important thing. Let's be honest about the fact that, that there's a tension in our existence and that we need to keep encouraging each other back to wholeness and the completeness that God offers for us. A measure of that in this life and the fullness that is to come. Let's remember that we're not strong enough to do it on our own. If we want to be individuals, if we want to be a people who are defined by the characteristics of God, if we want to be the ones who are full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and all of those things that are the opposite of what Paul talks about in accordance of our current state, the things that we would want to put on a business card, the things that we would want to put on a resume, the ways in which we would want to be known, then we're going to need each other to do that. I'm going to need you, and you're going to need me, and you're going to need your brothers, and you are going to need your sisters. And so I hope that as you hear all of those things, that it's a little agitating for us, it's a little bit uncomfortable for us, but that at the end of the day, it compels us to change, that it compels us to change so that we can be the people 
who embody the calling that God created us to have, to be the people who bring glory and honor to the name of the Most High God. One of the things that we like to do on Sundays is have an opportunity to respond. And so we create the space and and the chance to do that. And so in, in the next 20 or so minutes that we have over these next few songs, I just invite you to sit in whatever God has for you to sit in. And, and, and for some of us, that's going to feel like a little bit more chaos as we start to realize what God would really have for us. For some of us, it's time to, to turn from our sin and sprint another direction and to turn to someone who may even be in this room or to call somebody, to shoot somebody a text and to say, I want to run away from this thing and I want your help. And, and, and for some of us, it may be coming alongside somebody and saying, you know what, I've struggled with this in the past and I don't know the full way out, but I know the next three steps and I want to help you. Whatever God has for you in these moments, let it resonate with you in the next 20 minutes, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable, even if it makes you feel uneasy, because it may be the first step down the path, down the road of righteousness. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a day that you set aside for us to worship you and to know you. And, and to be honest, like in the full day, we maybe set aside one hour or two hours of our 24 to worship you and to really rest in your presence, God. But I pray that we would make the most of that. I pray that even in, in this time that our hearts would be sensitive, that our hearts would be repentant, that our hearts would be realistic and open and honest and vulnerable and laid bare about the things that we struggle with. Help us to, to voice those for those things to not stay cloaked anymore, for them to not be shoved and hidden in the darkness, but for them to be brought out into the light because we know that you are light and that when you illuminate our existence, you help us to truly be human, made in your image. You help us to live. Today, God, in the midst of our estate where we feel like we're dying, breathe into us the breath of life. Amen.